Hello and welcome to this, the 26th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And of course, this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of our friends up in Merrion Square, the Arts Council of Ireland. And it's down to that support that we can bring you these podcasts absolutely free of charge each week. We've promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but... We are looking for you not to put your money in our pocket, but to put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the simplest, most direct way for you to support Irish theatre is to go and buy yourself some tickets. It is simple. It is straightforward, it is effective, and it keeps the machine ticking over. Please do go and buy yourself some theatre tickets for a show this week. I've just bought myself some tickets a moment ago, and I'm feeling pretty good about it, because I'm looking forward to seeing that show. I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. But you know what? If tickets are outside your reach this week or this month, maybe go on over to fundit.ie or an Indiegogo, one of those crowdsourcing websites. See if there's a theatre project there that you'd like to support. Donations often start from as low as a fiver, and there are always great rewards in return for your donation. And also, you'll feel really good inside that you are helping support emerging artists. But of course there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person, over a coffee, or a pint, or as you're walking to the box office of a theatre to buy tickets for The Good Father by Rise Productions, maybe. Um, you can also share the link to this podcast on Facebook, or you can retweet the link on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, and if you're not an iTunes user, they are of course streamable and available for direct download at Rise productions.ie do please go back and listen to all the other episodes in the podcast both from this second series and indeed the first series from a few years back Uh, if you have a moment do please go and leave us a review on itunes that's a massive help for us in terms of boosting our visibility in terms of chart position and recommendations and algorithms and all that great stuff that itunes like to do that'd be a huge help if you have a few moments Um, but you know what if you're tight for time maybe just click to rate us on their five-star rating system it is a one-click deal it is one second out of your day you can of course as ever follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and it's been another great week here at rise towers and we're just coming up at the end of our first week of a two-week run back at the viking theater in clontarf which is one of my favorite places to play anywhere on the island of ireland it's a place that we've kind of made home over the last seven or eight years here with rise i mean we took fight night there we took the games people play there we had the good father there before christmas and now we're back again and really for a play like this um that's set on port marnock beach this is the closest theater that you can do and and as anyone who's been there knows the Viking is right on the water in Clontarf and you know we talk in the play about walking dogs at Bull Island and on Port Marnock Beach and so it's a real sense of the show coming home to the north side I guess which obviously for me as a proud Port Marnock man um, is really nice and important and it's funny because it's a lovely intimate theatre and because it's as local as it is in terms of the story uh, the play really sits beautifully there i think it's probably my favorite place that we play this show um just in terms of people understand the world 
and they buy it they get it uh, and also it means I've got a really short commute in to work and home every night which makes me very happy indeed because maybe now my kids might remember my name um, but it's fantastic we're really enjoying it and it is a, it's a beautiful thing to be keeping on the road with this show that I'm still enjoying so much and still finding so much new stuff in it I'm still laughing at it every night when you think about between how many times I've read that script and how many run-throughs I've seen. I mean, I'm, I'm there at every performance. So I must be in the hundreds at this stage in terms of that show. And still, you hear me laughing down the back every night. I, I love it. If you haven't caught the show yet, do please go out of your way to catch it. We, As I said, we're at the Viking for uh, for another week after this. But we're still all around the country until the 2nd of June. All those tour dates are at riseproductions.ie. Do go and check that out. We'd love to see you at some point on the road. And so... That brings us to our guest this week, and it is none other than the awesome Jim Cullerton. And just taking stock for a moment to clock the accomplishment and the achievement of uh, of them marking 30 years in business with Fishamble this year is just a remarkable thing. It's, uh, it's a stunning achievement. Jim's a fantastic guy and a great director, a guy who's done so much for specifically new writing here in Ireland. Um, but just a guy who's contributed so much to the whole ecosystem, the whole infrastructure of Irish theatre. Um, he's a fantastic guy. It's a really interesting chat. So look, let's get straight into it. Here he is, the brilliant Jim Cullerton. The wonderful Jim Cullerton joining me at last on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this, Jim. Not I'm delighted. Thanks very much. I guess delighted to do it. Um, let us start as we do every week. The very beginnings for you. How early does the inclination start for you to, to look for a career in the theatre? Uh, well, I suppose I was always keen on um, theatre. Like growing up, I was um, I was in a few films and TV programs and stuff, and I was kind of the regular uh, boy in RT radio plays for a few years until one day I was rung up and my voice had broken, and uh, that was the end of that uh, element of the career. And then um, you know, then so uh, and I was always really keen, you know, going to school and everything. And I went then to Trinity and did drama studies and English um, and studied that there uh, in the late eighties. And so I suppose uh, you know, one summer then during the uh, my time there kind of in 88 a big gang of us about 11 of us from players in Trinity and yeah. from Dramsock in UCD got together over the summer and um, decided to put on plays um, you know largely for tourists and for anyone interested who was hanging around Dublin for the summer mm-hmm. uh, in, inside in, in the in the theatre in Trinity um, and that was I suppose the early days of Pigs Back really in yeah. 1988 so there were 11 of us and then it, it whittled down I suppose um, once, we, once, we, once we left college and weren't students anymore to uh, six of us to Paul Hickey and Cathy Downs, Fergus Linehan, Ed Guiney, Martin Monroe, and myself. And then after a couple of years, it was Paul and Cathy and myself running it for a while. You know, it's kind of named to conjure with, though, right there. No, absolutely, yeah, sure, yeah, no, absolutely. People have gone on to to three other great things, you know. Well, okay, well, let's let's get back to the very beginning because there's no way I'm letting you get away with that little on child star territory. That's (laughs) far, that's far too entertaining. Um, So, that was quite child star, but you know, where where did that? uh, Where did the exposure to the business come from? Like, was were there family connections, or I mean? and am I also right in thinking that you might have gone through the Betty Ann Norton school like many yeah, the rest of yeah, us did? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I went to drama classes in, uh, with Betty Ann Norton and, and just, yeah, just went for auditions and things then, uh, going to drama classes. You know, there was no real connection. My okay. father had been, you know, involved in amateur drama a bit and my mother's family is very musical. So I suppose there was, there was kind of an appreciation and a love of, of theatre and stuff in the, in the house, but there were no other professional connections to theatre really. Okay. Um, so I just, I just really loved it growing up and, and got hooked, you know, and then started uh, wanting to do more of it and keep doing it. And what was it like? 
like being around kind of the, the RT radio rep at, at, at that time? It must have been kind of exciting. Were there, were there people there that, you know, you recognise from telly? Or, there, or what, what was it like being around that scene? Yeah, it was really, um, it was a, a real um, a real eye-opener, you know what I mean? And it was really great. And, and to have it as kind of almost a regular part of your life for a few years was really wonderful. You know, I was kind of going in once a week or once every two weeks to wow. do a radio play and, you know, and, and getting to know uh, actors and how people worked and getting to kind of, um, you know, work with writers and think about scripts. And I wasn't, I think I was just doing it as, as a hobby and something sure. I really enjoyed at the time. I don't know if I was thinking ahead too much to that. But then, of course, you um, you, you 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 meet people then as you work in theatre that yeah. you've met uh, all the time ago, and it's you know, and, and the world is a small one, so it's lovely to have met people as a child and then to kind of to meet them again like years later. You know, it's kind of fantastic. I mean, and I get a similar thing myself. I was I started at kind of fifteen, and so the people yeah, who I yeah. come across in those early days, it's fantastic to yes. to continue those relationships through. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me then about your time at Trinity. I mean, in terms of for so many of the people that we've spoken to on these podcasts, uh, that experience of throwing yourself in headfirst over in Dramsock or in Players or maybe at the, the Gaiety School or the Trinity or now the Lear or whatever, just that thing of diving in headfirst. What was those? What were those few years like for you? Yeah, I think that it was exactly that, you know. Um, like, so I was I was studying drama studies and on one hand, but then um, kind of spending all my time really in Players, and uh, you know, and and I think the like that was a that was a great time and a great experience. You know, and and getting to know lots of people um, that were in college at the time, um, you know, like Michael West and um, Karen Ardiff and Siobhan Miley and Tom Murphy, and you know, lots of us that kind of went on to continue uh, working in theatre afterwards. Um, was it was a great time, and I suppose the fact that maybe one week in a play you might be acting in a play, and then you might have a chance to direct a play a week later, and then the following week you'd be operating sound, or the following week you'd be making sandwiches at lunchtime for the audience. Like, was a great kind of, I suppose, you know, training in terms of in terms of all the aspects involved. And I think certainly working as a director you know it's I don't think you know directors need to be able to do anything else particularly if they're good directors but certainly having some experience whether you were good at it or not yeah. uh, doing everything else like technical roles and stage management roles and acting and you know, front of house I think does help you have a sense of of, of, of how it of how people collaborate and how the team works and what you can expect of people you know yeah I, there's a there's a famous story of my grandfather throwing the kind of the booklet of Lee filters, the lighting gel filters, to Stephen Ray and say, just memorise those on, on the base that one couldn't fully understand one's craft as an actor if you didn't have an encyclopedic knowledge of every particular shade of yes, the yeah, yeah, And while yeah. I think that may have been excessive, I do think the idea of having that broader sense of the different disciplines within theatre, yeah. particularly when it comes to directing then, to have yes. an appreciation of how those all those bits of the jigsaw come together. Yeah. Presumably that's beneficial. I think it is, yeah, absolutely, you know. And especially I think in the early days as a student, you know, the the, the privilege of working, for instance, with a composer or sound designer was well out of our you know range of possibilities, I suppose. But now working with um you know, working with great people like um Carl Kennedy or Dennis Classy or um Ivan and Vincent, you know, and, and, the, and the composers and sound designers we work with a lot. Um, I, I suppose it's, um, you know, you kind of, you, you really appreciate the fact that you spent the early years searching for music and pouring yeah. through kind of music and looking for music that would be right for something and, yeah. and, 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 and what, uh, and how kind of that enhances and, and is so much a part of performance as well. Talk to me then about that decision, you said the, the group of the 11 of you or so to kind of come together and that kind of initial season. And because it seems that there was, um, 
there was a bit of a history of putting stuff on in the summer break for tourists coming over here, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was the thing. I, I suppose you know, in the in uh, you know nowadays, thankfully, opportunities for young people are, are hopefully growing a bit again. I mean, we've been through such a rough time really um, over the past decade uh, in, in the country. Um, but you know, at the time, certainly in the late eighties, there were very there were also very few jobs, you know, and very few opportunities. And so I suppose um, it, it kind of felt to us like we might as well be putting on plays over the summer and trying to make a bit of money as hanging around unemployed or looking for work that maybe wasn't even there, you know. So yeah. it wasn't like we were we were turning down more lucrative offers in a way in order to do that. Uh, we, you know, it was kind of like if we felt well, yeah, we might as well. Whereas I think in the in the good times, it's quite hard perhaps to do that because you know your your, your pals and your peers are off kind of making money doing something yeah. else. You know, and you've got to make a real decision to maybe not do that in order to try and um, try and work in, in, in something you love. Um, but back in the in the in the late eighties, we thought we might as well put on plays over the summer and try and make a bit of money if we could. And there were um, yeah, so so the first couple of years we did plays that we found and we liked, and the, the eleven of us kind of acted as a sort of a student drama committee in a way, you know, which is where we'd all come from, I suppose, yeah. meeting at ISDA festivals, the student yeah. drama festivals, and um, and then I suppose you know the, the um, and then we after a couple of years we started to think about um, you know who was really committed to a career in theatre and I suppose the group got smaller because of that and we started to think about the kind of work we wanted to do so in 1990 we did um, our first new play so we commissioned Michael West to do a version of Don Juan by Moliere um, and Dominic West was in college with us at the time and so uh, I directed that and asked Dominic to play Don Juan and uh, there was a scene somebody actually was mentioning to me the other day that was gosh you know whatever 28 years ago somebody was mentioning a scene uh, and very vividly remembered where Dominic uh, got on dressed on stage and got into a new costume and had to ask audience members to help him button up his shirt and stuff so people remember that moment quite fondly still <laughs> I love it um, so so that, that's the first time for commissioning new work when did that real fire and uh, a desire to work towards exclusively new work when did that start to kind of creep in yes we've worked on new work really since 1990 Um, so from fairly early days we were committed to to new work a few adaptations were there in the early years which I suppose we haven't done in more recent times Um, and the first few plays were plays by people that that, um, were in Trinity with me you know like Deirdre Hines' first play Howling Moon's Silent Sons um, that transferred into the Abbey at the time um, in 1991 and then Gavin Costick's first play uh, in the early 90s as well Um, the Ash Fire. Um, we did a first play by Joseph O'Connor, Red Roses and Petrol in the early 90s. Which as I think well. every actor of my generation used the monologue Indeed, for. Indeed, I know, yes, yes. Yeah, there's a great monologue for Johnny and that, that you do see still coming up quite a bit. But it's always, it's always good to see something, something really great like that. Uh, so that was a really exciting time, kind of uh, discovering a lot of, a lot of first plays by new playwrights and by our contemporaries and deciding we'd make the work ourselves. And I think, you know, in more recent years, people have a very uh, kind of a broad sense of. Um, you know, and a really great sense of being theatre makers and you know writing, directing, devising, creating, you know performing, all being being possible within a kind of a, a the mix of what you might do. Whereas I think certainly in the in the late eighties, early nineties, you know there were um, there were a few a few independent theatre companies like there was Druid and Rough Magic and a few others. Yeah. And, and, but but you, people were still kind of waiting for someone in the Abbey or the Gate to ask you to do something. And so it was kind of it felt like the start of just making work for yourself. And you know we didn't call us as theatre makers as such as, as yeah. people do now, but it was a sense of of making it happen for yourself and realizing that plays that we were writing and creating ourselves were, you know, were, were valid and that that's what we wanted to dedicate ourselves to. And there was something exciting, certainly with a new playwright of, of, um, you know, of, of, of introducing a new vision of the world or a new way of thinking to audiences. And that's something you know we still get a real, real buzz from, you know, in, in Fishamble. How 
How challenging was it? I mean, because there's a, I guess there's a perception out there that taking on new work is trickier because it's not tried and tested. You don't know that it's a banker, you know. So in those early days, when you don't have as much experience under your belt, is it trickier to tackle those? Or do you, at that stage, do you just not know what you don't know yet and you go in with kind of youthful exuberance? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, you know, it being great, that you know, not knowing too much perhaps and just taking a risk and going with your instincts. And I think yeah. that's always a good thing to do. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, you know, new plays and, and, and developing and discovering new plays and producing new plays is always feels risky to us because you have no idea how they will, how they'll be received. They've never been tried before. And the odd time you might be tempted to... Um, you know, to, to think, oh, it'd be great to do a play that somebody has actually somebody else has tried out and seen if it works or not, uh, rather than us always being kind of um, in that position of taking that risk. But uh, but at the same time, there's such an excitement, you know, to to um, to working in new plays, as you know, and to sort of sharing with an audience something for the first time. And um, so, you know, ultimately, we're we're um, really you know privileged and delighted to do that. Uh, even though it is, yeah, it always feels like it's risky, certainly, you know, because you never know how something is going to go. And and when you look back, sometimes on on, on successes, and people might say, oh well. You know, you must have always known that was good. You know, you, you you hope it was good, but it isn't always the case. And some things you, you that you think are really good and you believe in don't quite have the same connection with audiences as you might have hoped. You know, was there a point in those early days when you felt? Ah, we're we're getting this now. Was there, or or we're kind of we're moving on from having been those student theatre people to now being like part of part of the the infrastructure, part of the the ecosystem here. Was there was there a, was there a moment that kind of it clicked over for you? Um, yeah, I think it was. I think there were a few kind of key moments that you remember. You know what I mean? As kind of as big ones. Kind of in the early years, I suppose we um, we had a lot of um, yeah. We're very lucky, really, and and you know and and. and delighted to have a number of successes I remember in 1990 so the company was about two years old and I just left college and we were doing that production of Don Juan and we met Phelan Donlan in the Arts Council uh, and he gave us a guarantee against loss of £3,000 I think it was okay. um, so it wasn't really funding from the Arts Council but it was you know, a guarantee against loss to, sort of, uh, to, to just couch that kind of potential to lose money a little bit and that felt like a great moment that we were being kind of acknowledged by by the Arts Council yeah. and th- uh, thankfully have continued to be funded um, by them um, you know, over the years. Um, so that was a key moment. Like in, in 1991, uh, ourselves and Tinderbox in Belfast co-produced a, a play by Marina Carr called This Love Thing. It was the first time a co-production had happened between a, a Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland company. And yeah. I remember Mary Robinson had just been elected president and she opened the production and there were politicians from both sides of the border that had never met before meeting at the opening night of this play. So you kind of think, gosh, we're, we're all like 21 and we're kind of, you know, doing something that's kind of generating that kind of interest kind of yeah. politically. And, and so, so that kind of moment is good you know, in, in um yeah i think it was 91 as well when um gary hines invited our production of howling moon silent sons into the abbey and then in those early 90s as well we were bringing productions uh, like gavin costick's the Ashfire and joe connor's yeah. red rose and petrol and other productions over to london um to the tricycle at the time so you know so the, so those kind of those kind of early key st- things i think really helped a lot to sort of to, to uh to keep you going or make you feel it was worth um committing to and keeping sticking at you know how significant was the the, the success abroad in terms of cementing either reputation or even just your own confidence here because I've, I've had other people talk about that there, there seemed to be a, a good bit more traffic over to the UK uh, at that time um, did you find it was important for you guys at, at, or in what did you feel it unlocked for you guys well I think there's I think there's um, you know Ireland's a small country and so and and 
you know, at, at the time we did, we, we, we've always toured a lot um, and we still tour quite a bit. Um, now, kind of typically we tour to over 40 venues in Ireland each year, uh, over 200 performances, you know, of our productions touring around the country. Uh, and when you go abroad to bigger countries, people are kind of amazed at that. But, you know, people forget sometimes that Ireland is so small that you can get yes. from one place to the other quite quickly. You know, this is not a 13 hour drive between <laughs> no, venues. No, it's not. No, exactly. So, that, so there's, and we've, we've thankfully a really great uh, network and, and relationship and partnership built up with so many venues around the country uh, but then you know there's only a certain life a production can have touring around Ireland and certainly touring internationally has um really helped give some a lot of our work kind of a, more a bigger audience and 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 I suppose hopefully to allow us to help that work to reach its potential by touring abroad and touring internationally so yeah we we toured a lot to the UK in those early years um and then sort of you know when Culture Ireland came on the scene I suppose 11 or 12 years ago like for so many artists and theatre companies that opened up all sorts of possibilities for international touring and now kind of uh, you know uh, thankfully bringing our productions abroad you know is uh, is is so much a part of the plans for so much of the work really and and I think in terms of employing artists and helping to promote the careers of playwrights and of everyone involved and get engaging with audiences and um, with with members of the public, you know, in in other countries, um, that's that's a huge part of, of of the program work we do and really feeds into the work and, fe- and that response and engagement feeds into what what we do. I think you know as well. In terms of audience development, that commitment to touring the work uh, and kind of consistently returning to venues again and again, how how key is that in developing? I guess in a sense of brand loyalty from for Fishamble with audiences around the country. Yeah, you t- certainly hope that is the case. You know, I think I think that's that's the challenge to as, exactly as you say, is really to try and uh, tour regularly enough so people remember you. And mm. you know, the, 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 I think if if you're touring, if you're only touring every few years, it's hard to kind of have people remember exactly who you are. You know, uh, and we all like to think everyone would remember us, but I think in reality, <laughs> yes. you know, you need to be touring more regularly for, for that to be part of 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 of, of sort of your regular. Activity activity and practice. Um, so we're on tour at the moment um, with our production of Maz and Bricks by Eve O'Connor um, and we're touring to 11 venues around the country. Uh, but we've been to most of those venues, uh, you know, within the last year with one of the plays we produce with Pat Kinnevan yeah. or with um, Margaret McAuliffe's play, The Humours Abandoned, you know, some, some of the... the um, the, the, the one and two person plays that kind of have kind of done so much touring and I suppose yeah. which are manageable scale wise to tour relatively easily um, have been to those venues so when we come back with something that's kind of a slightly bigger scale production um, you know the the uh, the audiences hopefully do remember that, that yeah. it's us again and the venues can get in touch and say remember the company you saw five six months ago well they're back with something else yeah. Can I talk about the rebrand for a minute so from the evolution of Pigs Back to Fishamble and how and why that came about Yeah so it was uh, I suppose by the time we got to after about seven or eight years the, there, were, there were three of us running the company um, Paul Hickey and Cathy Downs and myself and Paul and Cathy are both actors and they had both decided they wanted to move on and do um, other things yeah. and that I was going to be carrying it on so I suppose as a way to mark the fact that the company was continuing on but that there was but that, that, that there was only one person sure. um, me uh, left um, <laughs> that, that we would mark that by changing the name of the company really okay. you know and, um, and so we went with uh, Fishamble uh, you know uh, people often know that in 1742 Handel's Messiah was first performed uh, in the Playhouse on Fishamble Street and the other thing that was of interest to us about that that Playhouse on Fishamble Street was the fact that in the 1700s it was the first theatre to um, commission and produce plays by Irish writers every other theatre was bringing plays in from London okay. um, so the, these guys in Fishamble Street were, were getting um, Irish writers to write stuff for them uh, and I suppose because we're you know dedicated to um, 
to, to new plays, it, we kind of felt that was uh, appropriate. And we were also based in Temple Bar at the time. Sure. Um, so that felt like it was, it was close by. And we're not, we're moved up now to um, Great Denmark Street to um, number three here, which is part of the Belvedere and O'Reilly complex. Yeah. Um, but at the time, we were very close to Fishamble Street as well, you know. And we've been, so we've been Fishamble for 22 years out of right. the 30 years. Okay, I like it. Um, talk to me then about you and your approach to directing a play, particularly the new work that you work so often on, um, have, do you feel you have a particular style, a particular approach? Does it change project by project? How do you, how do you tackle a production? Well, I think it's... Um, uh, we had, yeah, we had a, a, a little event just to mark our 30th um, year the other day, and Sebastian Barry was talking about me you know, being, coming along with a little stick and poking at the spider's web and the spider inside, <laughs> and that he's the spider inside, <laughs> and I'm there poking gently to try you know, encourage the play and tease the play um, out. And, um, and I suppose, so I suppose for me, like the, the, the development of the play and the, and the development of the idea and the relationship with the writer is very much a part of the process that, 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 that I go through as a director with the writer. So by the time we get to, you know, to, to rehearsals, there's a lot of trust there and a lot of a, a shared view of what the, what the play is and then working through all the time closely with Gavin Costick, who's our literary manager and dramaturg, obviously. Um, so, and I think, so, but, but then I think, you know, and, and the plays that kind of interest us here in Fishamble are, are all new, obviously. That's the one thing they have in common. After that, we, you know, have a, I suppose, a broad range of work or we think of it that way. But I suppose um, we are interested in plays that really grapple with what it is to be living in Ireland today, plays that are, Provocative and have something to say, and um, and often represent you know, the underdog or people on the fringes of society. I suppose we would be interested in and and plays that say that in a, a vibrant and theatrical way. Um, so this, the type of play kind of a, I suppose um, kind of often fits into that kind of broad territory, even though after that there, there are huge differences yeah. and variations between them. And I think you know, and, and I suppose you you then do adjust. You know, there's kind of, I suppose, a way that I would approach directing a play um, just through, through um, finding a way that suits me. But, um, you know, and, uh, but, 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 but after that, things do change and develop depending on the needs of the play and, yeah. and what, the play, you know, what's, what the play is about and who's involved. And, and I suppose the process does, yeah, you know, you try to have a, you try to have a balance, I suppose, between um, having kind of a structure to the way you might go about directing a play that you feel uh, reassured by, but also to allow yourself to be spontaneous and, try, and to do things a different way as, as, as the play demands, you know? Yeah. Does the process then shift much when it's not a fish amble show? So for your freelance work, say at the Abbey or elsewhere, how different, if at all, is the approach for those kind of shows? Or indeed, like when you, bec- when you come on stream with that project, I guess? Yeah, well, I think you... Um, I think it's slightly different in Fish Amble, I suppose, because you know, we've been very closely uh, involved with the writer, usually over a long period of time. And I've been talking to the writer and discussing the play and developing the play with the writer uh, over you know, a year and a half or two years or sometimes more than that. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it, it's slightly different because it, it feels a little bit cosier. But when I've directed other plays like at the Abbey or elsewhere, I suppose you know, very often I, I, I've been... Um, Asked to direct new plays, which I'm delighted to do, you know, and so 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 a lot of things are similar about how you pr- approach something, um, but also you're working for someone else and working with a different team, and that's kind of and that's interesting as well because you see things from a different perspective, you know what I mean? Or when you direct um, work for people outside Ireland as well, there often is a, a different way of doing it, you know. And even within Ireland, even 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 involved in in Fishamble Productions, sometimes we collaborate and partner with other organisations, and that's really good as well to show you that there isn't always. You know, there isn't always just the way that you're used to uh, yeah. as a way of doing something. We did a co-production in 2016 
called Invitation to a Journey. It was um, with Cushcame Dance Theatre and Crash Ensemble and ourselves in Fishamble. And David Bulger and myself co-directed it and um, Kate Ellis was um, the musical director of it. And, um, and, the, and the script was written by Gavin Costick. And I suppose even at the beginning of that process, which was a really wonderful, uh, invigorating, fascinating kind of process, uh, we realised that we all had different ways of approaching rehearsals and approaching yeah. what we would do, you know. So... We were kind of used in Fishamble to rehearsing for four weeks and to having a script that was really, you know, ready and had been through a big development process by the time we got to rehearsals. Uh, and that would be the same, I suppose, for, you know, or similar for a lot of theatre companies. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Cush came, you know, would always rehearse for at least six weeks. They wouldn't have a script. They wouldn't know what they were going to do at the beginning of the six weeks. I mean, you know, it might all be in David's head, but they hadn't actually yeah. worked that out beforehand. The rehearsals was about working that out. Um, whereas the notion of rehearsing for four or six weeks full time to the musicians in Crash Ensemble... <laughs> was bizarre and just the strangest thing they'd ever come across <laughs> you know so we found a, a way of working together that was that, that, that challenged all of us and was ultimately really mutually beneficial but it was interesting to be outside your comfort zone as it always is and sort of and see things from a different perspective Is that kind of uh, collaboration and compromise I guess the same thing that you'd be dealing with as director on a show anyway to, to kind of bring the, the vision of the, the playwright, but also the interpretations of the actors, the input from uh, designers and costume, and as you, you know, talk about composers as well. Is, is it a similar thing to kind of, to unify all those strands into the one story? I suppose it is, you know, I mean, people talk about directors being like, um, like midwives, you know, or whatever, you know, or like four men in a factory that you're not necessarily the one, you're not, you're not, you're not on stage as the actors are performing the play but you're there facilitating and making everything happen making sure that everything happens in the way that you think is is best for the you know yeah. for, for the, the the baby to be born or whatever <laughs> if we're going to follow that analogy um and so i i suppose it's a yeah you you it's, it's a constant mixture of of um of of leading and guiding and having a vision for what you want to do but also being really collaborative and i mm. and i certainly really enjoy working collaboratively with people I and mean, that's the greatest joy of working in theater obviously i think you know the, working with great artists with playwrights and designers and actors and you know stage management and production personnel working in collaboration with everyone and trying to create an environment where everyone is working at their best ability where everyone is feeling creatively engaged and involved and free to express themselves and to feed into that process uh, you know the collaborative nature of it is really the most exciting thing so certainly I think I would hope that's something that's tr- that that's the case for anything I direct whether it's in Fishamble or elsewhere or whether yeah. it's a new play or not that you're trying to um, get the best out of everyone you're trying to create a really um, safe, enjoyable, hardworking, dedicated environment where people can, you know, collaborate to the best of their ability and yeah. get the best out of each other. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I don't see the point. I don't think, you know, if you're a director who comes in with a vision and, and that is at the expense of everyone's creativity or ability to express themselves, you know, I don't see the point in that. Really. Yeah. Um, so if we're talking about collaboration, I'd like to talk to you about ongoing collaborations. And I guess the one that instantly jumps to a lot of people's minds would be the ongoing association with Pat Kinnevin and his extraordinary few plays that he's made with you guys. What is it like for you as director to to have that ongoing relationship and to keep coming back to the the existing work and the development of the new work then? Yeah, it's um the the relationship we have with with Pat is um is so rewarding and so brilliant. I'm so um delighted to continue working with him and that that's such a uh, a pleasant and productive relationship. You know, Pat's fantastic, fantastic yeah. person, an amazing theater artist. He was in an early um um, play that we did um, as an actor and obviously had a huge career 
acting in other people's plays, um, uh, you know, uh, in all the major theatres and companies around town and elsewhere. And, uh, uh, and then 20 years ago, he came to me with an idea for a play he wanted to write called The Nuns Would about a group of teenagers in Cove in County Cork in the 70s picking spuds and flirting with each other. And there's a merger and it was it was kind of loosely based on a Greek myth, but it was kind of it was so um, rooted in 1970s Cove. Mm. Um, and so we produced uh, that play, The Nuns Would, in the project in um yeah, kind of 1998, I think it was, um, and uh, and and it was a great success. And then we produced a second play by Pat, The Plains of Enna. And then um, about uh, about 12 years ago, I suppose, um, he approached me and said he had an idea for uh, a solo play, um, and that he thought that he would it'd be kind of inspired by Japanese culture and it would be about four old people uh, living in retirement homes and care facilities, two men and two women, and he would play all four of them. And I remember thinking at the beginning, gosh, this sounds like the, the kind of mad, wild, bizarre, um, imaginative thing you'd imagine, you would think that Pat would come up with. And yet, like, thinking, oh, gosh, like, how, how would we begin to do that? Uh, so, so we kind of set about working on it, very low-key, really, just developing it and seeing what uh, we came up with. And, and we, we toured around the country. We just tried it out for one or two dates uh, you know there was no real huge pressure on it uh, early on and that play was called Forgotten and, and, and grew in popularity and and became uh, yeah a, a very sort of well-loved um, production that 12 years later is still going strong yeah. and was inspired I suppose by by Pat's anger and frustration at how in in Ireland often unlike uh, an eastern um, culture like Japan we um, you know we mistreat and discard people at the end of their lives and don't really take proper care of them um, and so, and when he was when he was training as a nurse before he became an actor, he kind of witnessed some of that and was and watched to write about it. Um, you know, and like all his plays, they come from a, a place where he's he's angry about something or he wants to express something or he wants to tackle something. But they come with the, with that huge exuberant theatrical imagination as well. You know, and so then after yeah, back in um, it was around two thousand eleven, uh, he said he had an idea for another play and it was about a homeless man and it'd be in, it'd be about things were silent about like about mental health issues and homelessness um, and also influenced by silent movies and that's called Silent um, and we started that off in two thousand and eleven and have been. Um, you know, yeah, all over the world and all over the country with it. You know, so it's been a great success, obviously. Um, and then, and then we had a third play in that sequence uh, that's loosely become known as a trilogy called yeah. Underneath, which is um, you know about the, a woman who's been murdered and is speaking from underneath the ground. But it's also about what we're like underneath the surface and how people judge people on based on, on what they're like on the surface. And that similarly has had a, a great success internationally mm-hmm. and nationally, um, nationally touring with Arts Council support and then with Culture Ireland help, kind of touring all over the world. Um, and so we're yeah delighted that 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 the work keeps coming. I mean, Pat thinks of them, I think, as you know, as as singles on an album. You know what I mean? And, and that you're not oh, quite sure wow. how many. So they're not necessarily a tri- they're separate individual things, but they all come from a similar you know place in a way, even though they're very different. Mm. Um, and, that, and, 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 and he's just sort of delighted when each one comes along, and, as, as am I, and as we are in Fishamble. And I'm delighted that yeah, that a couple of years ago we um, started talking about a new idea for something which is about a separated father living in the Midlands and it's about loneliness and about, I suppose, a man who has been denied access to his daughter uh, meeting up with her when she's an adult and he's about to meet her. It's called Before. It's happening just before he meets her in the Gresham. He's in Cleary's on the day that the shop shuts down looking for a gift and every department in the shop is, insp- uh, I suppose, uh, sparks off a memory or inspires a song. So it's a, mm. it's a play with songs and music. Um, and we were in we were in Los Angeles actually a couple of weeks ago with the three other plays yeah. um, that, that uh, we're doing. Um, you know, and Fanula Flanagan and Colin Farrell and various people came along. It was great to sort of see lots of Irish actors over yeah. there coming along to the plays. And um, 
and we and we uh, we met Gene Kelly's wife, who has been a great supporter of the work over the wow. last few years. And uh, and there's a song now in the musical inspired by Gene Kelly. So there's lots of special little connections with that. But, uh, but working with Pat is great, you know. And 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 because you know he writes the play and he perform plays and he performs them. And somebody did say to me once, you know, like is that really difficult to work with somebody who's yeah. you know as a director? Like if he's written it and he's performing it, um, you know, uh, you know how does that work exactly? But what's great about Pat is that he's so modest and collaborative that he's very open to a real collaboration in rehearsals and he doesn't ever um, I suppose refer to himself as the writer once he's in rehearsals he's performing it and we might be grappling with something in a play and, and, and I'll say to Pat like what were you thinking when you wrote it like maybe, you know, yeah. maybe that would help us through and he'll always tend to say oh I haven't a clue I can't remember you know <laughs> uh, and he'll just be an actor struggling with it like any actor yeah. struggling with any difficult part of a, of a play in rehearsals it's intriguing to me because Pat's what, I mean from the time that I kind of started to go see theatre as you know 15, 16 in the mid 90s he was this phenomenal presence in Irish theatre just this really unique performer kind of I guess the only thing you can anyway link it to is maybe Alwyn but like in that just kind of this unique singular uh, kind of performer and so then for you to get to work with him now to have that, that you know the magic of that performance there but also then to be with him and developing these plays must be fantastically satisfying Oh, it is. It's really, really great, and it's 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 um and because we're you know it, it's kind of different to everything else we do in terms of how we set it up, I suppose, because it's just Pat and myself working on it for a long time, um and then obviously the team in Fishamble like Gavin and Eva Scanlon and Chandrika Narayan and Mohan and Ronan Carey, we all get involved in seeing run-throughs and looking at, at at the play as it develops, um and then the other creative um, team members like Dennis Clossy writing the music and Emma O'Kane doing choreography and Catherine mm. Condell working on design. And costumes with us they all get involved during the process but for a lot of the time it's just Pat and myself so at the moment we're, we, and for the last few months we've been rehearsing before one day a week so we'll okay. pick a day every week and we'll get together and we'll rehearse it and he'll learn a bit more or we'll look at a particular section or we'll We'll, cha- we'll, 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 we'll do some script work or we'll get up on the floor and do some dance and movement kind of work wow. uh, with Emma so you know and then you, you mull over that and think about it for a week and then come back together and, and we make changes then based on what we've thought about over the last week so it's a lovely protracted kind of sporadic um, uh, rehearsal period that you, that you wouldn't have the luxury of for so much work usually you yeah. know so it's really nice to be able to, to work on it in a different yeah. way perhaps, and as you, know? you say like so different to, to our standard of you know the four week standard full on yes, yes. You know, 10 to 6 rehearsal that's exactly yeah, yeah. that's fascinating to me we were talking to some people in Finland recently you know who were on um, new play companies and they were saying that they they have a rehearsal period, but they try not to have it all together. They divide it up, you know what I mean? So they might have a few days, you know, and then a few months go past and a few more days, and then they might they might not have a full rehearsal period. They'd have like maybe two or three weeks, but right. they'd, all, they'd have had the other weeks beforehand. Yeah. Now, we haven't quite done that. I mean, it's a bit like what we do with Pat, but we are, you know, we're working with Deirdre Kinahan at the moment on a new play um, by her, which is called Rathmines Road. It's a co-production with The Abbey and Fish Amble, which will be on in the Dublin Theatre Festival uh, in October and in the Civic, previewing in the Civic as well. And... Um, you know, we've kind of met for a few days and discussed it and read it and chatted about it and that's kind of helped inform the next draft and we'll be doing a few more days next month. Then, you know, so by the time we get to rehearsals, kind of people are kind of, you know, have uh, been involved with it for a while and I suppose that's something we certainly try to do but it's not always possible. You know, you're dependent on people's availability yeah. and all that kind of stuff as well, you know. That's kind of fascinating though, as an approach. Um, I want to talk to you, you know, we talk about, you know, developing these new pieces with, you know, writers of the calibre of, uh, of Deakin and stuff. I want to talk about Fishamble's connection to the industry generally because the the percentage of new work that happens at this island that has fish ample fingerprints all over it is something phenomenal like it's there, there's there's very few plays that happen here new plays that happen here that haven't some connection through to fish ample tell me a bit about the structures 
uh, through which those works kind of come to life. Yeah, I suppose... Um it's something that uh, we've thought about a lot over the years I suppose and we've been we've been very lucky here in Fishamble to have had such amazing general managers and producers working with us over the years so Maureen Connelly joined us in the early days um in the mid-90s and then Joe Mangan took over from her as our next general manager and then we had Kira Flynn and Orla Flanagan and Marquetta Dowling as our, production, as our, as our, as our producers and, and general managers and currently Eva Scanlon as our general manager and they've all been amazing and, and really a really vibrant dynamic part of the company as it progressed and so when, when Orla Flanagan was here about 11 or 12 years ago um, she talked to us a lot about I suppose you know she'd come from a dramaturgical kind of background as much as a producing one really and we talked a lot about new plays and the fact that we were dedicated to new plays and what that meant and mm. and whether we were a, a production company or whether we were going to look at ways of um, I suppose being a new play company beyond that and whether we were going to look at supporting theatre artists making new work in other ways outside our own productions or if that's something we had ambitions for and we thought it, I suppose and we felt that it, it was it was part of what we wanted to see the company becoming um, and so and, and and so we started calling ourselves the new the new play company from then um We've had various taglines and, you know, and people don't, uh, understandably, people don't think much thought goes into calling yourself the new play company because you put on new plays. Right. But actually that took years and years <laughs> to come up with. You know, at one point we, have, we had, you know, new Irish plays, I think as a potential tagline. And we thought, well, what is an Irish play? What does that even mean? You know, new plays for the Irish stage, we thought, and then the plays are, you know, for Irish audiences. But, you know, the, 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 the plays can be Irish or not Irish, you know, once they're speaking to an Irish audience primarily. But then we did so much... Um, touring with Culture Ireland support we've been to you know the last decade especially we've been we've been to 17 countries with plays we've had 11 productions go to New York in the last decade with that kind of support it's phenomenal oh, well, it's, it's, uh, well those relationships like especially in New York with um, yeah with the Irish Arts Centre and 5959 and Origin and First Irish you know those connections are very valuable and to have built up those partnerships that are really productive is a, is a great thing so but it, so the, the idea of doing plays for the Irish stage didn't seem like an appropriate tagline mm. either so it took us a long time to come up with the new play company uh, which seems so simple and not to say very much but I suppose it was, for us it was about us seeing how we could really try and serve the theatre community and work with our fellow artists and try and see what it meant to be a new play company in a way that would uh, that would that would support and encourage and facilitate work beyond what we could manage to produce ourselves so that's kind of where that came from so i suppose um, the new play clinic that we that we run where we give support to theatre artists working on new plays um, kind of came out of that so Gavin Costick uh, with the team of um, other dramaturgs uh, is available to work on the development of new plays it has to sort of come before a rehearsal period but once a play is, is definitely planned for production and with support from the Arts Council all the artists and everyone who takes part are paid for all that like everyone who takes part in all our d- development initiatives um, are paid for their time um, and so that kind of came out of that, 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 that um, sort of dedication to trying to see how we could support people beyond our own work and similarly um, in discussions about um, about 10 years ago I suppose uh, with the Irish Theatre Institute and the Dublin Fringe Festival we were talking about the fact that uh, with the economic collapse the things were like you know always rough of course for us all working in theatre but really rougher than ever before and venues were saying well we've nothing to present to our audiences Um, artists and actors were saying god there's there's hardly any work going around Um, companies were you know losing their funding um, and so the resort and the resources to the arts council which were so modest uh, anyway and you know it's so frustrating that 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 our reputation as a country is built on our culture so much and yet that we're whatever second lowest in the Mm. uh, the table in terms of european countries you know when you look at the 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 spending on on culture per capita like or as a percentage of our gdp uh, is so frustrating and and that went down even 
even further and so dramatically so as we all know um so i suppose we were thinking well is there a way we could do something like we have with Pat Kinnevin where we could help actors to create their own productions that could tour relatively easily? Um, and so Shona Bag came out of that, uh, as you well remember, because yes, you were indeed. one of the very yes. first alumni. Yes, indeed. <laughs> with Fight Night, which is such a fantastic, uh, fantastic show. Um, and there have been so many plays that come out of that, you know, that have gone on to such huge success. Um, you know, and, and, and have been, we've been so proud, along with our partners in the ITI and the Dublin Fringe, to, to, to have helped... Um, artists create and write their first plays and have such success with them, you know. Um, and so, and then, and then Fish Hamlet's gone on to take on some of those plays and to produce them, like Sonia Kelly's play The Queer Turn My Face and Swing by Janet Moran and Peter Daly and Steve Blount and Gavin Costick, and uh, more recently, uh, Margaret McAuliffe's play, um, you know, The Humans Abandoned, that's, that's touring around, and we've kind of plans to tour that internationally again next yeah. year. Um, so it's great that that work has come out of it, and of course, huge other successes that have been produced by other people as well. You know, yes. you think of Dublin Old School and turn into a film, like an extraordinary successes with yeah. other work and Charolais as well, you know. So, um, so, so, yeah, that's been a kind of a, I suppose, a dedication to trying to, to try to see how we can really operate as efficiently and effectively and productively and supportively as possible um, and use our resources to try and genuinely, if possible, help people uh, create work and develop work and perhaps, you know, help the work reach its potential or have a better chance than, than it might have done without some support, you know. And so, uh, and, and as well as that, there have been playwriting courses that we've been running for a long time and workshops and, um, and yeah, and, and we do look at the statistics and realise that, that, that the writers of about 60% of the plays, the new plays produced every year in Ireland, have had some sort of support in some way from a fish amble initiative so we're very proud of that and hopefully that is you know uh, that seems to be something that people find helpful and we're very uh, honoured and delighted that that's the case you know Talk to me then a bit about a project of the scale and the scope of imagination like Tiny Plays for Ireland where does an idea like that come from and how surprised were you by the interest and appetite for it? Yeah it's kind of it's interesting because we're kind of thinking like over 30 years what has you know, what has changed. And of course, themes and ideas do change in the air. I mean, there were a lot of plays in the 90s, um, both produced by other people and by us, about emigration. You know, and, and there aren't so many plays about that now. There are plays about, you know, uh, you know, gender issues and gender equality. And, you know, and so there are different different themes and ideas come to the fore at different times. The one thing that doesn't change or hasn't changed in our experience working with writers and working on new plays over those three decades is the, the vibrancy and the creativity of writers in Ireland and how, how, um, how, how committed people are to, to writing and how, how much um, of a strong um, desire there is for people to express themselves through theatre and through mm. writing you know um, and certainly that was the case when we, when we did Tiny Place for Ireland back in 2011. Um, what actually happened was, I mean, it came out of something that didn't work for us, which is always, I think, a good, um, you know, lesson or way to, to go. We, we kind of thought with the economic collapse and the huge changes in the country around that time that we should really, as a theatre company, we should respond to that and we should grapple with that and somehow capture that in a production. Um, and you'd like to think of theatre as a, an art form that can respond pretty quickly and immediately, you know, maybe quicker than film or sure, whatever yeah. it can to what's going on in the world at the moment. So we approached... A good few people, established writers and, you know, not so established writers and asked them would they write a big state of the nation play about what the country was going through. And everyone felt 
for, for, for a variety of reasons, but mostly because we were in the middle of things that they didn't really feel they were the right person to do that, that they felt that you might need some hindsight or that it was just too hard to try and deal with something that we were right in the middle of. Yeah. Um, now, you know, that, that maybe they just didn't want to, uh, want to do it or want to write it for us, I don't know, but that's, <laughs> that was more or less the excuse. And so we thought, okay, we're not getting anywhere with this. Um, how can we still do what we want to do? But... Um, but but allow but find a way to allow writers to grapple with it or to get into that uh, territory in some way. And we, uh, Gavin and myself, were chatting about it and came up with the idea of asking people to write tiny plays instead of a big one big play. Um, so we asked people to submit tiny plays, no more than six hundred words, uh, which is about four minutes of stage time um, about something they felt really passionate about, something that they really wanted to express and to say. Um, and we and we we waited for the results. The Irish Times was a partner with us, and we, we we called for submissions, and we commissioned a few writers to write some plays to start off with. You know, um, Dermot Bulger and Maeve Binchy and um, Joe O'Connor and Colin McCann. People, some people wrote some plays for us that we commissioned, and then we we, we said, well, this is what these writers have come up with. What what will you do? Yeah. Um, and when we had done calls for submissions like that before, we'd had around two or three hundred submissions. We did a play back in two thousand and six called Whereabouts, which was set in Temple Bar. Yes. And we brought the audience around um, Temple Bar. And, you know, you were watching plays where you, through glass windows and hearing the actors' voices on soundtracks. And you were watching uh, plays in doorways. And then people were looking at a couple in a doorway having a fight and realising slowly that this wasn't a play. This was just a couple having a fight. So you, you were going around in 2006 with, with, with watching plays, not knowing what was a play and what was real life. And, and I suppose the, the, the lines were blurred. And we kind of... we, we um, we liked doing that. We've had a lot of those kind of site-specific and off-site kind of um, productions over the years as well. But when we called for submissions for that, we got about 300 entries. So we expected that for Tiny Place for Ireland as well. So uh, we were really surprised then when over 1,700 people sent us <laughs> Tiny Place. So that was, uh, I remember that Christmas very well. We thought we'd spend, you know, a week or two reading scripts and it was like, uh, it was an intense few months wow. uh, reading everything and thinking carefully about what plays we would do. And we had, we had planned to do 25 plays in the project. And um, we ended up doing double the amount we had planned. So we did two productions in 2011 and 12 uh, with 25 plays in each. Um, and they, were, they, they really struck a chord, I think, you know, and, and people were, were writing from the heart and writing with passion and, uh, and were driven by, you know, wanting to say something. And some plays were dealing with big issues. Some were, were small, beautifully formed little plays. Uh, a couple of the plays, you know, a play um, uh, by Deirdre Kinnahan grew into a commission for a play called Spinning that yes. we subsequently did. Similarly, kind of a, a tiny play by Colin Murphy about the Minister for Finance and the Taoiseach flipping a coin to decide whether to guarantee the banks or not became guaranteed, which we yeah. did with him about the bank guarantee. And um, so some of them had, had, had a bigger life. And then the plays themselves, we've, we've helped set up kind of versions in Russia and in Australia. And we're talking to... Um, you know, the Irish Arts Centre at the moment, maybe about a kind of another version of that. We, we for, for the uh, Ireland 100 in 2016, okay. we brought the plays over to the Kennedy Centre in Washington and transferred them to the Irish Arts Centre in New York. And, um, and we're looking at another, another collabor- international collaboration sort of inspired by the same thing. So they've had, they've had a great life really as a kind of, as an idea. But I suppose at the back of our minds, we were also thinking, God, we, like we would still love to see, is there a big play for Ireland in there? Uh, and, you know, could, could we try and find, it, it, can we find that? And can we maybe do something that would support writers and playwrights and help develop 
work for people and with people but would also ultimately result in a production and that's something I think we try to make sure happens with all the development work we do so a new play clinic is helping develop plays all of which have definite production plans and Shona Bag will help you know four actors or groups of actors a year that will all end up being produced in the Dublin Fringe Festival Um, you know that that everything we that we we, we do we try you know that we make sure people are paid and and that there's a production in mind for it so um, with that in mind we thought we would we would launch something called a play for Ireland Um, and we uh, for our 30th year this year we're working on 30 different projects we're working with five groups of writers or individual writers in six different venues around the country delighted to be working with the Lyric in Belfast the Town Hall Theatre the Bell Table um, the Everyman uh, the Pavilion and Drake um, and so over the course of the year we'll develop those 30 plays with the writers and then we're going to perform excerpts of them and try and see can we help develop and progress possible partnerships and connections for the plays but ultimately choose one play and produce that at the end of 2019 as our as our play for Ireland so we're still at the back of our mind we're still we're still thinking of that and I suppose we you know people have said to us because Tiny Place for Ireland I think did is very fondly remembered people often do say oh would you not do Tiny Place for Ireland again and we try not to do the same thing again yeah. you know and try to do something else but there's something about there's something about a play for Ireland or about theatres the power of theatre to say something about the country we live in, I suppose, that we feel is, um, that, 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 yeah, that we feel committed to and want to continue pursuing. And in fact, one of the plays there that came from Tiny Plays that we mentioned, Colin Murphy's play, Guaranteed, um, we did that a few years ago and, uh, you know, we had we had a letter from the DPP uh, on the opening <laughs> night uh, saying, well, you know, we have cases against some of these people that are named the play and if there's any anything potentially libelous in the play, you're all in big trouble. And yeah. we were really grateful we'd had a team of lawyers kind of looking at the script and, and working on the development of the script with us. So kind of a, a slightly bizarre dramaturgical <laughs> process to have lawyers in the room and actors saying, oh, I think I should say this or I'm not sure about this or why am I, you know, saying this and the lawyers going, no, no, that's got to stay exactly like that because, yeah. you know, nothing can be changed. Um, so that was kind of yeah that was kind of interesting and another play actually with, with Colin as well we did we, we, um, we were doing these I suppose these drama documentaries mm. and on post approached us and said would we like to do a play about, 2000, about 1916 in 2016 and uh my initial response was that we usually weren't that interested in historical plays, you know, uh, and of course, you know, a play set in the past can help you look at the present as much as a play set in the present. But I suppose we didn't want to do something that might seem like it was a, a historical pageant in some way. And uh, and they kind of said, oh, well, look, if you want to do it, we'll give you the GPO for two weeks at Easter and you can do this what you want. So we kind of thought about it very quickly and went, oh, yeah, no, we, we actually decided we will take it after all. But that was a that was an extraordinary play, you know, which began with the audience being asked to stand for the national anthem. Of course, it's incredible you know, moment. It was it was very memorable, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. People stand up and then God save the king plays, and everyone's going, "All right, okay, of course." <laughs> um, but somebody outside heard us singing "God save the king" inside the GPO oh, wow. in Easter week, uh, hundred years after the rising, and there were there was a bomb threat, and there were Gardaí diving around the, in the sewers underneath the GPO looking for bombs, and so you kind of, in a funny way, you kind of feel, "Gosh, those moments I think make you feel that." theatre really does still have the power to provoke and shock and to make a point um, you know and, and, and uh, you know and, and that's something we really feel yeah uh, uh, as dedicated to and as, as committed to as ever before and even touring Maz and Bricks at the moment Eva O'Connor's play uh, it's, it's extraordinary the reaction it's getting as we tour around the country with that compared to a year ago when we first did it and of I think course. with you know with the, with the Me Too movement um, and with the um, with the rape trial in Belfast and with the, the lead up to the uh, referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment, it, it's a totally different play, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, and, and getting totally different reactions. Um, and 
yeah, and, and, and so much discussion about it and, and other artworks around and, 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 and the role of, of, um, of the arts in, um, in, and whether the arts have a right to kind of make political statements or not as well is a really interesting um, yes. area at the moment that we're all a part of, obviously, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, kind, it's kind of a fascinating time. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's, it's really interesting. And I, and I think what's interesting for us is that in uh, the Netflix generation, that theatre can still affect people, that it still can still charge people up. And like you say, even just the sheer volume of submissions for a tiny plays thing, when you go, oh, well, you know, is, if everything is streaming and downloadable, is, is live theatre still a, a thing? And clearly from that appetite out there for generating this new work and seeing it, you are clearly that appetite is still there. Yeah, it seems like it, you know, absolutely, you know, and, and we find, you know, that, that um, there's something, yeah, there is something, I think, really powerful about going into a room, you know, with a lot of strangers and sitting in the dark and engaging in a piece of theatre, you know, that has, still has a real, a real power and, and we're finding audiences in general are very invigorated by that and engaged by that and um and really you know i mean we've been we've been doing like so many other companies you know doing doing lots of post-show discussions and looking at ways to kind of uh, i suppose enhance and increase the audience's engagement with the work and stuff and you find that yeah a really um reassuringly large number of people stay on for those discussions and events and want to uh engage in in plays that are dealing with something that's of you know social or political importance so finally then as you look back on the last 30 years what are you most proud of? And then I guess as you look forward, what still excites you? I think it's um, a really, I suppose, proud ultimately of, um, of, of, of being able to work with so many amazing artists and writers and um, uh, yeah, playwrights and designers and people working in theatre. I think, you know, as you know yourself well, people working in theatre are a, a generous... Um, vibrant you know dynamic thoughtful group of really hard-working people uh, and it's lovely to work with people like that and people yeah. who care about what they do and that's been so that's something i'm really proud of and to have been able to produce and support work that that that, that employs artists you know on, on uh, from a business point of view we're really proud over the last decade you know that that um you know, for every euro funding we get, uh, one euro forty-five at least goes directly to paying artists and making art. Wow. And we, our, our, our arts council funding is always substantially less than half of our turnover. So, with our funding and our network as a company, our, our sort of infrastructure, I suppose, we're able to generate at least that amount of money again that that that, that goes into primarily, you know, making the art and paying yeah. people. So, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the partnerships we've developed and built up, and very grateful to all the partners we have, like venues and festivals and in individuals and artists around the, the country and internationally and uh, and um, yeah and most looking forward to continuing to do that you know what I mean continue to hope that that, that new plays will always um, surprise and provoke and will have a, have a role to play in trying to make society a better place or, for, or try and help us understand what world we live in and to grapple with issues that are thorny and difficult and but also um you know, life affirming and uh, invigorating, and make you kind of feel that um, that being alive is a is a, a challenging but great thing. 
Uh, well, Jim, thank you so much for the chat. It's been an absolute pleasure. Congratulations on 30 incredible years. Thanks so much, Here's, here's to the next 30. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. So there you have it. The great Jim Cullerton. Fantastic to hang out with him for the hour uh, and talk through that career. It's Like I said, that 30 years thing is such, it's such a remarkable achievement. Uh, I remember a long time ago when I was over in New York um, doing a bit of training with Anne Bogart and the City Company, and apologies for the clang on that name drop there. Um, they, at the time, were working on a project about the group theatre and you know as like this iconic maybe the most iconic American theatre company and this new iconic company in the city company working on it and the reason that they were focusing on it was it was to mark their 10th anniversary and I remember Anne talking to me at the time about how that 10 year anniversary is a real um, a real marker for theatre companies in that oftentimes a theatre company doesn't make it past the decade and that that you know to make it to the full 10 years in and of itself is a remarkable achievement. And obviously for me with Rise, I'm staring down the barrel of it. September 2020 is going to be the 10-year mark for us and already we're cooking up plans for what that, you know, mark in that 10th year anniversary might be for us and what shows we might do and, you know, big plans around it. And so for Fishamble now to have achieved 30 years, still standing, still going strong, still premiering all this incredible new work and fostering new writers, um, and to have done it in the landscape, you know, you're talking about right the way back from the late 80s when there was no money around through the last decade, when there was no money around, and they kept the show on the road. It's it's a fantastic, spectacular achievement, and it's one to be applauded. And, you know, I think for so many of us working in the business now, um, particularly those with a focus on new writing, you know, Fish Amble's fingerprints are all over so much of the work that goes on. It's uh, it's a phenomenal contribution to the world of Irish theatre, and it should be celebrated, I think. And so, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country at the Abbey Theatre, our national theatre they have on Rafteries Hill, which has an incredibly short run. Do not wait on that one. Unfortunately, I'm not going to get in to see it because of how I'm tied up with The Good Father, um, but I'm hearing nothing other than phenomenal things about it make it your business to go and buy your tickets today because they will be gone and the show will be gone and you will be kicking yourself make it your business get it done uh, also they have cypress avenue at uh, the abbey at the moment as well which is getting five star reviews left right and center and that's before it transfers off all around the world to take over the world so get yourself into that too uh, up o'connell street then at the gate theater they have assassins still playing with the wonderful kate gilmore and of course rise productions regular rachel o'byrne at the gaiety they have The Plough and the Stars from the Abbey Theatre, starring the brilliant Ian Lloyd Anderson and Kate Brennan and all those other great people up there. Uh, at the Borgosh Energy Theatre, it's Giselle from the English National Ballet, which my dad went to see the other night and raved about. Now, if you can get my dad raving about a ballet show, you are doing something right. So even if you're not a dance fan, get yourself up to the Borgosh. You will not be disappointed. At Theatre Upstairs, they continue with Electric by Ali Hardiman, and that'll be followed by I See You by Amy DeVroon and starring the ever awesome Roxana Nicolium. I can't wait to get in and catch that at some point. Um, at the new theatre in Temple Bar, it's The Curse of the Button Accordion, and that'll be followed by Down and Out in Paris and London from the always awesome Phelan Drew. Uh, at Smock Alley, they have Pilgrim starring Rex Ryan, written by Phil Doherty, and that's directed by the brilliant Aoife Spillane Hinks. Um, they also have The Wendy House, and then coming up there uh, are The Streets Are Ours from Fregoli from Galway, uh, and all 
also th- <laughs> and also things we talk about when we talk about things from Rocket Octopus. That's featuring Ian Toner and Ashley Durrell and a whole host of others. That's going to be some sketch comedy that you should definitely go out of your way to try and catch if you can. At the Civic out in Talad, they have Trist coming up. And we know Trist well because I've talked about it an awful lot on this podcast this season. And we had Jeddah and Finn Baran a couple of episodes ago. I have just bought my tickets in the last half an hour to go and see that out in Talad. I suggest you do the same. Jump on the Lewis, see the show. It's an 8.15 curtain, so you've got that extra little bit of time to get out on the Lewis. Uh, and it is just a phenomenal show that'll work so well in that space. I think you should make it your business to get out there, if at all you can. Uh, at the Pavilion, they have Maz and Bricks. Uh, they also have My Left Nut. And then they'll have Underneath from Pat Kinnevan and the Great Fish Amble. Uh, at Driacht in Blanche, they have the successful TD by John B. Keane. And then, of course, at the Viking in Clontarf, it's the Good Father for another week. And that'll be followed by Under the Bed. Um, at the Dolman Theatre, uh, they have the Confirmation Suit coming up. And then at Bewley's on Grafton Street for the lunchtime, they have My Fair Ladies from the ever-awesome Des Kyo. At the Project Arts Centre, they have Autumn Royal and a whole lot of other work which is there as part of the Dublin Dance Festival at the moment. And then as we head south at the Everyman in Cork, they also have Autumn Royal there and that'll be followed by Minding Frankie. Uh, at the Town Hall in Galway, My Left Nut, one of last year's Shona Bag shows, is on tour down there. Uh, at the Lime Tree in Limerick, uh, we talked about it in the chat with Jim, Pat Kittivan's full trilogy is coming to uh, the Lime Tree down there and also they will have Autumn Royal too. And then up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it's the Sword and the Sand, and also Lovers from the brilliant Brian Freel, and that's starring Charlie Bonner, my old pal, uh, and Ruby Campbell too, and that'll definitely be worth a look. So look, that is us. That is episode 26 in the books. It's the halfway mark, guys. This year is absolutely flying by, but the good news is that clearly for all the fun we've had so far in this first six months we've got another six months of awesomeness coming at you and we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers but in the meantime this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally I'm still Angus Og McAnally see you next week (laughs) 